everybody, this is Sandra. Welcome to show 20 of Toon Talks podcast. Sean Kelly is my guest, co-founder of Animation Mentor and senior animator at ILM. I'm really excited to have Sean on the show. We've been planning this one since November of last year, but as busy as animators get, we had to put it off a few times. It was a little scary that there was so much excitement around this one, but Sean pulls it off. What an amazing person. So talented, so lovely, and so hilarious. The wait was definitely worth it. Super fun to listen to Sean, he's full of energy and excitement about animation on all platforms. Have him marked down Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, War of the Worlds, he was a lead on the three Transformer movies, as well as the movie Noah. He animated on Rango, Hulk, The Avengers, tons of films. We talk a lot about his process on these movies, as well as inspiring stories about how he got into the industry, and tons of advice on the process of animation. As I said, it was a really fun one to do, so if you're listening with earbuds, be warned, there's a lot of loud laughing in this one. But I don't want to keep you up too late. So. Yeah, I don't want to keep you up. you got to work in the morning. <laughs> so, we'll get going. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah, totally. Awesome. So, I, I know you set your sights on ILM um, when you watched Star Wars and you're five years old, and I'm wondering how long it took you to get to ILM, um, maybe from college, and if you can remember your first day on the job. Yeah, wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me your whole life story. Yeah, gosh, okay, so yeah, like you said, I was five, I saw Empire Strikes Back, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what is this? So, uh, actually, that's that's actually my earliest, um, like, youngest really clear memory, is leaving Empire Strikes Back with my dad, yeah. and I, I thought that it was r- real. I, I was asking him, like, where is Hoth, and like, how can you be at walkers, and and I, I was, like, so amazed by it. And my dad, I, I just remember him telling me, like, well, no, that's not real. Hoth isn't real. Hoth is made by artists. And I didn't know I wanted to be an animator, but I knew I wanted to be a part of making Hoth. You know, like, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and so, yeah, that was always in the back of my mind all through my childhood and growing up and going to school. And um, in high school... We had this exercise that was supposed to help us make goals in life. And so they told us to write down a, a career goal and make it like almost like unattainable. You know, they said <laughs> something just crazy. The idea being that if you aim for the stars, at least you get to the moon. Yeah. You know? So I had heard that they might make more Star Wars movies. And this was like ten years before they actually made the prequels. But I so I wrote down I want to work on a Star Wars movie. And then that seemed ridiculous, like that it was impossible. But then all through <laughs> college, I, I really made a conscious decision to make every decision based on does this choice take me one step closer to Star Wars or one step further away from Star Wars? And that wasn't a good um, that wasn't that wasn't a good way to live for my social life. <laughs> but it was good as far as you know, learning about art, and I was, I was studying fil- filmmaking and computers and writing and art, yeah. studying a lot about art and stuff, and, I, you know, I didn't, I still didn't know I wanted to be an animator, I just knew I wanted to be a part of Star Wars, and I was <laughs> getting really interested in all of these different aspects yeah. of kind of the creative world, and if you sort of combine all of these things I was interested in, like filmmaking and, uh, and writing and drawing and computers, yeah. if you like squash all those together, <laughs> you get computer animation, so I kind of started to, to veer that way, so um, yeah, I don't know how deep you want to go with this, but I'll tell you this one like super crazy story yeah, if you go want, for it. Yeah, go there, was, there was a moment where it was like the divine hand of fate like steered my life in an awesome way, where 
I was really interested in this computer animation stuff, and I, like I told you, always wanted to work um, on Star Wars. Yeah. And I wanted to buy this mouse, this computer mouse, for my birthday. And so my mom took me to this computer store. This mouse was ridiculous. It's just this ga- gadgety. It was like a three dimensional mouse. You could lift up off the desk and move it around <laughs> in the air. And it, and it, so you could have like a Z axis. It was ridiculous. I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> anyway. So we go to this place, and I'm just buying a mouse. That's all I'm doing. And then out of the blue, for no reason whatsoever, the guy at the computer store says, you know, if you want to work at Lucasfilm, you should learn 3D Studio. And I was like, what is 3D Studio? Why would you say that to me? I didn't know what that meant. And so then we got in the car, and my mom was like, that was really weird that he said that. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Then we started like, making phone calls and trying to find out what is 3D Studio. And I got super excited about 3D Studio. And then I called around trying to find who sells 3D Studio. And at the time, you could only buy it from certain vendors. And it cost like $3,000 or something. (laughs) So I went on this huge roller coaster of excitement to depression. Okay, well, I can't buy 3D Studio. And then I found out that you can get it at a student discount for way, way, way less. Then the roller coaster went back up. I was excited. And then um, we asked a friend of the family about 3D Studio because he worked in video games. Mm. And and he was like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm a programmer, so I don't know a lot about 3D Studio, but I know that there's a guy at work that uses it. Why don't you come and I'll give you a tour of the studio? So I got a tour of the studio and then this is we were leaving and I never had seen the, the, the 3D Studio guy wasn't there or something. Yeah. And then... Uh, when we were leaving, he said, oh, and then down that way is the animators. And I said, oh, can I see what that is? And he's like, oh, okay. So we went down there. And then just totally randomly, I met another guy in there who said, oh, no, don't learn 3D Studio. You need to learn Alias. Alias Wavefront. That was like the <laughs> new hotness, right? Yeah. So, so he was like, yeah, this is Alias. And he showed it to me. And, and then I asked him if he would teach it to me. And he said, yes. So I just started meeting with him. And he was kind of one of my first mentors. And it... His name was John Root, and I met him through my first mentor, Bill Hennis, who was telling me all about like old-school 2D animation. We were looking at cartoon animation by Preston Blair, doing yeah. all the drawings from that book. So fun. Anyway, I just that kicked off this huge, like, crazy journey of, of meeting people yeah. and learning from them and meeting the next person and learning from him. And then all these weird opportunities blossomed out of this bizarre... <laughs> trip to buy a computer mouse <laughs> and and you can really trace a very clear path <laughs> buying a computer mouse to working on star wars and it's this really bizarre journey yeah. of that that day like at the computer store really changed my life in a really real way it's crazy <laughs> so anyway so okay so then i'm going to um junior college studying lots of things trending towards animation i meet those mentors decide, okay, I'm going to go to the Academy of Art in San Francisco and learn animation there. So I went there, and their program is a lot better now, but at the time it was uh, terrible. <laughs> uh, you know, my animation class was literally, uh, you know, here's a bouncing ball, or here's, not even how to do a bouncing ball. It was, here's how to make a sphere, and then if you go further in the timeline and you move it, then hit play, it moved. Now you're an animator. Yeah. Now let's talk about particle tornadoes. So that was basically the, the classes at that time. There was no, 
this was early days in computer animation and there yeah. was no such thing as a dialogue test or yeah. anything like that yet. It was not that we had ever seen. <laughs> uh, Toy Story wasn't on our radar yet, but it yeah. was about to be. That was right about when it, Toy yeah. Story came out and blew mm -hmm. my mind. Um, so yeah, so I went to the Academy of Art for a while, uh, went there for a couple years, and while I was there, I got an internship at ILM, which was totally my absolute fantasy dream come true, <laughs> and you know, I always tell people that an internship is what you make of it, and my internship was only supposed to be making photocopies and getting coffee, and that's really what it was, and um, the cool the coolest thing about my internship was I would get to videotape the classes that the animators were taking. That's cool. So it would be like Glenn Vilpu would come talk yeah. about animal animation and, and I'd be like the kid in the back <laughs> recording it for everybody. But I was super geeking out, you know, yeah. to see that stuff. It was awesome. But, uh, you know, that's all it was supposed to be, but I really tried to make the most of it and I talked to all the animators I could. I was asking people, you know, what do you think I should be studying in school and can I show you my, my animation? And, and slowly through that process, that's when I found out that the program wasn't so good for yeah. specifically character animation at, at the Academy at the time. Like I said, it's a lot better now. This is a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I would say things like, well, what am I supposed to learn? And they'd say, oh, like, you know, like, like the principles of animation. And they'd say, oh, cool. What are those? <laughs> no, no, you know, like, like anticipation. I'd be like, oh, wow. What's anticipation? <laughs> you know, I have no idea what any of it is. And I'd go back to school and I would tell... Like Bobby, like, oh my god, the guys at work, they, they told me about anticipation, and they told me about this book, The Illusion of Life. Yeah. And so, you know, I will never regret going to the Academy, mm. even though it was <laughs> it's a lot of money at the time, Yeah. Um, because I met amazing people through it, uh, and the, uh, you know, I went to school with Bobby and Carlos, and yeah. I made great friends there, and we learned so much from each other. Even if we weren't learning a lot in our classes, mm. Carlos would show up with some videotape of, like, here's this like 10th generation bootleg lecture of somebody from Disney and we'd watch it over and over. Or Bobby would come in with some cool like um, book that he had found and we, and we would teach each other, you know, yeah. which was great. I feel like I learned a ton from those guys. Awesome. And while I was an intern at ILM, uh, they hired a guy named Wayne Gilbert who was uh, kind of this incoming uh, hotshot, you know, animation guy. He had designed the curriculum at Sheridan and, he had taught at Disney, and um, you know he came and, and as an intern, my my desk was in the training area, so anybody knew I, I would kind of be around them. Yeah. So when Wayne came, I like I was really scared of him at first. <laughs> really? He's very tall, actually. He's quite tall. What's that? He's quite tall. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's really tall. Yeah. Yeah, he was intimidating, and his resume was really intimidating. Yeah. Uh, so then one day I got up all my guts and, and I went and I asked him if he would teach me how to animate. Um, and he said, well, why don't you bring in your sketchbooks and let me see those. So I brought in <laughs> just terrible sketchbooks. Um, but I guess he saw promise in them. He saw potential. Yeah. And he said that he would teach me. So uh, really, what I, this is probably terrible to say um, in public, but I dropped out of school and I made way in my school. And I started meeting with Wayne twice a week, mm. and he was teaching me on paper. So I was learning old school, you know, flipping yeah. pages and stuff. And I got a animation disc and my <laughs> you know, my blue color erase pencils, and I was I was super into it. I loved it. That that was really fun. I was never the best artist, but mm. that was a really fun way to learn. Mm. And uh, Wayne was 
unbelievably generous to me and really took me under his wing. I became really close with him and his wife. Uh, You know, they're they're up, you know, in Canada near you now, so I I don't get to see them anymore, but I I really miss them. They were amazing, and he really changed my life, probably more than anyone else other than my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, he, you know, I would go to his house, and we would, uh, he would look at my animation, he would critique it, then we would all eat dinner, then he would give me some other assignment, then he'd go to bed, and I would animate, like, all night (laughs) in the house. And, uh, you know, I became really close to them. They were amazing. I, eventually, I had a key to their house and stuff in a drawer in the room. <laughs> you know, I, I really was there a lot, like, yeah. learning animation. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I just worked with him for probably close to two years. So this is my internship ended while I was learning from him. And when it ended, I, I managed to get a job working in video games. Uh, through a guy that went to my family's church, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Hennis, who was my first mentor. So okay. he worked in games. He kind of kicked all that off. Yeah. And he helped me get this job in video games at a place called Presage Software. And they mostly made kind of educational um, games. And I had a great time there, made good friends. And yeah. there I was more of a generalist, doing like uh, a little bit of modeling, a little bit of texturing, but I also got to do a little bit of animation. <laughs> Yeah. So during the day, I would get to animate in the computer, and then at night, I would be furiously animating on paper for my Wayne Gilbert assignments. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, my, my life was animation big time right then. That's, I mean, it still is, but at that time, if I was awake, I was animating. Yeah. That, that's really the truth of it. I was just kind of laser focused for those couple years, animating at work during the day, and then all night on my stuff for Wayne. And then once Wayne thought that my demo reel was good enough, we submitted it to ILM. And you got in? Yeah. I can't believe it, but I did. (laughs) It's crazy. And getting that phone call, that was the most exciting. (laughs) They called me at at the games drop. And and that was a small game studio, so we didn't have our own extensions. It would be more like you call the general number, Mm -hmm. and then there'd be a pager that says, like, Sean Kelly, there's a call for you online, too, or whatever. Yeah. So I didn't want anybody to know that yeah. I had applied to ILM. And so when they when I got a call, which I never got calls there, I was like, oh my gosh, that's that <laughs> might be ILM. Time. So I, I ran down to the basement where there was this phone that nobody ever went down. <laughs> I took the call down there. I was like literally jumping off the ground, going crazy <laughs> down there when they said that I got this job. Mm. And then I, I hung up and I had to walk really calmly back yeah. <laughs> And I slowly walked out the front door and slowly walked down the street till they couldn't see me. This is before our cell phones. And then I just ran three blocks to the nearest phone and I called my mom and I called Bobby. And I was going crazy. Crazy. It was like, I I was so thrilled. So excited. Especially after the interview process was really scary and intimidating and all this stuff. And so it was just such a huge relief. Yeah. That, that I had got there, and then just like you're experiencing, you know, working in this big studio and surrounded by all these people with tons of experience, yeah. then you get in this new place and it's super scary all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but for that moment, I was just... Yeah, um, excited. <laughs> what was it like to animate Yoda and all that after all these years? Was it really overwhelming, or was it just like you were too naive and excited to understand the epicness? <laughs> you just... um, no, I totally understood the epicness. I was really excited. Uh, Yoda was always my favorite as yeah. a kid, and to get a chance to do anything with him was really thrilling. Yeah. And the, the only maybe more memorable thing I did with him, if, if it could even be called memorable, is uh, there's a part in the third prequel where 
he um, fights some stormtroopers outside the Jedi temple. And he stabs some guys and he throws his lightsaber and it sticks in a guy and then he kind of turns it off with his face kind of in the camera. So I got to do this little like section of shots. That's awesome. And I was so excited. Again, I mean, I, I'm saying excited a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand. I understand the excitement. I'm super excited. I'm like hardcore old school Star Wars fan ever since I was a kid. Yeah. And that was a hugely thrilling experience to get to do anything with Yoda. To yeah. get to move him at all was <laughs> totally exciting. Yeah. And for those shots, actually, I really I really got into it. I, I had this idea that I wanted him to throw his lightsaber. And I, I went into the animation supervisor's office with a broken hockey stick. This is Rob Coleman's office. Went in there with a broken hockey stick as my lightsaber. I was jumping around. I remember I like jumped up on the couch. I was like, he's gonna jump like this. He's gonna like whip it back. He's gonna throw it like a frisbee, and he's gonna run and jump on the guy's chest and pull it out and jump up his head. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> he totally laughed at me because that wasn't really what the shot was. But he said that I could try it, and uh, yeah, somehow I managed to get that shot done. And, nice. How long did it take you to do that? <laughs> oh boy, that's a long time ago now. I, I don't know. Probably. Was it twice as long as you were bid to do it, or maybe three times as long? <laughs> <laughs> um, that was the third prequel. So I had worked on a bunch of movies by you then. You more experience. I wasn't quite in the newbie mode yeah. yet, or still, where yeah. I was, you know, wildly overshooting with <laughs> the bend. So it was probably more reason. It was probably a couple weeks for that shot. Oh, okay. So that's, which is a more reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When I first started, though, yeah, the myths were, I was like, oh my gosh, how can you do that? I know, two weeks for a shot, that's crazy. Mm. But yeah, that's no, all good. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm thinking right now. But Yeah, I know, I know how it is. <laughs> but I remember your blog post about, I think it was called Find a Mentor, and that for me was amazing and inspiring, and it led me to Animation Mentor, it led me to writing to my heroes and keeping in touch with Doug Sweetland and Mark Oftedal, Wayne ah. Gilbert as well, has been amazing to me since I've been here, he's a lovely, lovely guy, and Michal Kiley, a guy from DreamWorks, so I've met so many mentors due to that post, I just like, you know, I write to people. Wow, it's, it's that's really, really amazing to hear. It has changed my life. It has absolutely, like when you get responses from your heroes and they are encouraging to you, it's so, it adds so much to your career. So I was wondering, um, I mean, you've talked a little bit about your mentors, but what advice would you have for other people to find mentors for themselves, even if they can't necessarily get to a school? Because I think it's a really important thing to do, to have a mentor. Yeah, it's hard. You know, part of the reason for Animation Mentor, when we first started talking about what, what that idea could be. At one point, it was going to be like a traveling circus. <laughs> not, not a circus, but like like a traveling roadshow <laughs> thing where the you know the people teaching would sort of evolve as it traveled around the world and it yeah. would be more like a live thing. Uh, but then it became, you know, as it kind of morphed into an online type of uh, entity, yeah. part of the idea was maybe we can recreate this situation that I had with Wayne for people who don't happen to be sitting in Lucasfilm training when Wayne starts there. (laughs) Where you're not at the perfect place at the perfect time. You know what I mean? And be able to provide that to anybody, anywhere who wants it. So that's a big part of what the school is about, is trying to recreate this experience that I was so blessed to have. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think having a mentor is important. 
And I realized not everybody can go to Animation Mentor, which is a place that where you could have a mentor yeah. like that. Um, you know, other than that, it, it sort of does kind of either boil down to being in the right place at the right time yeah. or being tenacious like yourself, like finding, finding these guys, yeah. you know? It's not everybody has the courage to just find Mark Oftedal <laughs> and just talk to him. I mean, <laughs> it's so awesome that you did that. And, I mean, I, it seems like that has been kind of a life-changing experience for you. Yeah, it obviously has. He's been amazing throughout the years. He's always looked at my reels over the years. And then when I got funding from um, my government in Ireland to, like, get a mentor... I instantly thought of Mark because I have such a like a relationship with him now, you know. So I didn't want to like get something off of him for free either, even though I, like he charged me like pennies, you know. But even just to have a beginning and an end and some kind of reward for it, but it's it's been yeah amazing. I wouldn't have gotten Sony without it, and I wouldn't have met him if it wasn't for you and that blog post and animation mentor. <laughs> so that really is amazing to hear. It really is. Yeah, it's cool. Um, but yeah, I do think I mean something having kind of the. Uh, the drive to to chase something like that down or someone like that down, mm-hmm. that's a pretty big, um, I don't know, it's like, it, it, in, in one sense it's a big indicator of whether or not you have the type of personality or drive to succeed in this industry. And on the other hand, uh, it just shows a lot of courage in, in a great way, but it's, it's rare. So there's not a lot of people doing that type of thing. Yeah. Um, I remember when we were in school at the academy, multiple times we just cold called animators. <laughs> we just called. Uh, I remember uh, Tom Saint-Amand was an animator at, at ILM, and he had also done a lot of work with stop motion. He's an armature builder and animator, and he worked on Nightmare Before Christmas and James and Giant Peach and, um, you know, uh, Return of the Jedi. Like he, he worked on all these amazing things. Yeah. So we didn't even know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> his name is Tom Saint Amand, and later I got to know him. Like we became friends when I got to ILM. But when I was in school, we called ILM and asked the front desk if we could be connected to Tom Starmondo. <laughs> they, they figured out like, oh, do you mean Tom Saint Amand? And we we're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> and then we just cold called him and asked him if we could take him to lunch and talk to him about armatures because. Uh, a couple of us were in like a stop motion class and he said yeah sure and we went and met with him and he did all these schematics on napkins that we they were like the holy treasures <laughs> that we kept you know yeah and they were they were awesome and he was again just really generous with his time so nice to us so helpful yeah and that's just a guy that we like randomly called on the phone i'm not necessarily recommending that to everyone <laughs> uh, i don't i think that that could have gone either way yeah yeah that could have gone yeah. bad yeah, uh, I, I rang yeah. Pixar about for Doug Sweetland, but oh. I didn't dare talk to him. I was too nervous. But I was like, if I eat, if I write, does it go to him? <laughs> That's like <laughs> I didn't want to talk to him. They're like, yes, it will, dear. That's really okay. great. Yeah, writing writing is probably a better idea. Yeah, or you know, just so that it isn't so that people aren't put on, on the, spot. the spot quite so much. Yeah, uh, if you could try to find them on social media or an email or even just if you just send a letter to the studio and say attention yeah Doug Spielin, it's, pro- it's yeah. probably gonna go to him yeah um so yeah i mean i don't think that there's anything wrong with Would with you know? that as long as there's a fine line right between <laughs> becoming a pest 
or getting a bad reputation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know. I gotta say that for the most part, animators tend to be pretty laid back, nice people. In my experience, it's a great group of of people who are generally and genuinely interested in helping others, and who I think mostly universally feel like they didn't get there by themselves. And I think are mostly eager to find ways to give back or pass yeah. it on. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like most professionals are open to at least answering a question. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. not becoming a mentor, but at least you know maybe you have questions about the industry or something like that. Yeah, for sure. I don't think that it would be hard to get somebody to reply. Yeah. In a situation like that. But again, I'm not recommending <laughs> that everybody start spamming all the animators out there. Yeah, definitely not. That, that can be annoying. <laughs> yeah, it really, you know, we're also very busy people, right? <laughs> yeah. You true. know, we're doing this interview at 11.30 and you have to work in the morning. Yeah, and I, I'm in crunch right now, so it's like, <laughs> <laughs> But um, So there's some questions from listeners. Maybe we can jump onto those early just in case we don't get them in. Um, sure. And Avner Engel, who is an animation mentor graduate, I don't know if I pronounced his name right, he is sitting across from me in work, bearing down because he's super tall. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's one of the AM people. Say hello for me. I will. He asks, um, do you feel like you're still learning after so many years in the industry? And if so, what was the most recent thing you learned? Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Okay, uh, wait, I need a minute to think about that. Yeah, sure. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> the thing that comes to mind is Mark Optinol, <laughs> the cartoony animation type. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm sure there's been things before that. That was an awesome talk. I mean, after that. Yeah, the talk was so great. He, that guy is such a nice guy and so talented, man. No, And he was nervous up there, which was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't seem nervous at all. I guess, I don't know, maybe I know about it. I'm like, man, you're so freaking amazing and everybody's in awe of you and you're standing up there and you're a little nervous. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Oh, it makes me feel better about what I'm nervous. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. Well, my answer to that question, um, yeah, I, I will always be a student, mm -hmm. you know? I, as, animation's way too deep and way too complex to ever know everything about it. Mm -hmm. So if you are sincere about your desire to become a better animator, then you're never going to run out of things to improve. You're never going to learn run out of things to learn about. Mm -hmm. At the very least, so there's like different aspects of that too. In in one sense, you're constantly refining your, your art and your skills with um, kind of the nuts and bolts of the art. Mm -hmm. You know, learning how to pose a little bit better or do, you know, these little things with the timing feels a little bit better or more real or or more exciting or mm -hmm. whatever um so there's like the nuts and bolts things but then there's also uh what you're animating demands uh a level of expertise in something that you probably aren't that familiar with yeah uh often right so you know i am not a giant robot ninja <laughs> For example, so if I'm doing some crazy like ninja moves or something with giant robots in a movie, I need to go do a bunch of research to learn about these martial arts moves or fight mechanics or yeah. um, and, and then also kind of machinery types of things where uh, like I went to a construction site and I spent all day 
recording kind of how the different tractors were moving around, how the tank treads react to the wheels that they're going over, yeah. or um, like giant cranes that are moving when they stop, like how much bounce and recovery happens at the end of this crane arm when it comes to a stop. And yeah. I couldn't believe like how many times it bounced back and forth before it completely stopped. Yeah. So, you know, things like that, I'm, you got to go out there and research it. And if I'm suddenly have to animate ballet, I, I, I don't know how to do <laughs> ballet dance, you know, I, I, but I need to learn kind of a lot about it in order yeah. to recreate that. So that's another sense that we're always learning. And, and then in some ways that, part of the always learning is even more fun yeah. because it's uh, it's applicable to other aspects of life. Well, kind of. I'm not like a ninja fighter <laughs> so, oh, so, where I could do like crazy ninja moves on somebody. But, um, you know, you do learn about things that it's just interesting to know like being on an airplane and knowing a little bit more about how airplanes fly because I had to animate some spaceships and I wanted to fly around like airplanes. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. It's kind of neat. It's, it's kind of neat to always be learning about the world that we live in and and trying to recreate and kind of stylize aspects of of that world. Yeah. So, yes, I'm still a student. I'm always going to be a student. We're <laughs> never going to know it all. Animation's not. Um, it's not like a finite and defi- you know, like it's not defined in a way that it has boundaries and you can learn it all the way from beginning to end. Mm. It's not like a book that starts and ends, you know? It, it just keeps going forever <laughs> and ever and ever and ever. Which is awesome and terrifying. Which is awesome and terrifying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> you said that perfectly. Um, but I think it's more awesome than terrifying. <laughs> it starts off terrifying and awesome and becomes awesome and terrifying. terrifying. That's what I think. And at first, it was way more terrifying than possible. And now it's way more awesome than terrifying. That's true. It's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll always be learning. And I guess the most recent things that I learned, you know, like I mentioned, going to that Mark Oftedal class at CTN, I learned a lot in that class. It was about cartoony animation, which is not something I get to do a whole lot of at ILM. The cartooniest thing that we worked on was was Rango. And um, even that isn't super cartoony. You know, yeah. it's stylized, but it isn't blue sky stylized. Yeah. Um, so that was like really interesting for me. Like when he was talking about characters coming to a stop and the way that, like, he'll um, have the upper body and lower body kind of going against each other mm-hmm. to to get that like squash and stretch that lets the energy dissipate without having to do a big kind of rocking forward and then back yeah. recovery. It lets the recovery happen in this one spot in a cartoony way, but that energy doesn't disappear magically. It has somewhere to go. And yeah. I, I thought that was awesome. I was like, oh my gosh, that's uh, that, that really stuck with me. I loved that. And then recently uh, I got to help out on Jurassic World um, just for like a month and a half. And Glenn McIntosh is the animation supervisor on that film. And the way that he would do the dailies would be a lot like the animation mentor e-critiques where he's showing our work and doing all these gorgeous drawings on top of them, and no one can draw a dinosaur like Glenn McIntosh, I'll tell you right now. Incredible. Uh, incredible artist and, and and a huge dinosaur fan, and if you combine those, it's like amazing. Like He would draw these poses over the top of what you've done, and I feel like I learned a lot about 
um, posing, yeah. like, just all over again on that movie. Yeah. I felt like I was a student again. <laughs> like, I'm always a student, but I felt extra student on that movie. That's just seeing, like, oh, yeah, if the tail is over there, and, and if I delay it way longer than I would have thought, yeah. and then it comes over, it does it feel <clears throat> bigger and heavier, and the pose is a lot more clear. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It was like going to school and dailies in there, which was great. <laughs> That is cool. <laughs> um, Matthew Loitering wants to know if he's your favorite uh, student. And he also wants to know if you use... <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say he is a memorable student for all the wrong reasons. No, not true at all. He's a great guy. I'll, I'll, I'll put him in my... I'll put him in my top third. How about that? <laughs> I'm sure I'll be happy with that. <laughs> you can't say he's my favorite now. Yeah, I know, because it would just be offensive to everybody else. So. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a great guy, talented too. Cool. He wants to also know if you use much mocap in VFX, and if you do, what are the pros and cons? Oh, that's a good question. Motion capture is something that I used to, like, no one hated motion capture more than me. I was the king of motion capture haters. <laughs> um, and, and now I've kind of come around to seeing that it has its uses. Mm. When best used, <laughs> I think that it has its uses. <laughs> um, if, if you are just motion capturing something and then putting it straight into a movie, yeah. so far I have yet to see anything like that that is, does not look, to me, dead or uh, terrible. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I, terrible is a strong word, but I feel like if you just take straight up motion capture and put it on the big screen in a movie, it feels a little bit dead, a little bit robotic, mm. and it at at very best, at least is missing that extra spark of life or that extra bit of dynamic excitement yeah. that would have made it a little bit larger than life. In a way that still feels believable, but becomes memorable and exciting. And if it's just straight from the mocap to the screen, I feel like it loses something in the translation and misses the chance to make it more special. Uh, that said, I do feel like it has its uses, and we do use motion capture sometimes. Um, you know, I, I think all of the visual effects studios are using motion capture to some degree or another, uh, and. You know, for the most part, I find it to be a useful thing, especially for, you know, if there's a situation where there's going to be, like, five guys standing around watching two guys fight in the foreground, yeah. I want to focus my time on the two guys in the foreground yeah. and animating them to be really fun and exciting. I don't want to spend all my time animating the guys standing in the background doing all their little weight shifts and <laughs> yeah. stuff. Which, it isn't like I don't want to animate that. Yeah. It's just if I have a limited amount of time, do I want to do little weight shifts or big awesome <laughs> fight in the foreground? Yeah. I want to do the big awesome fighting in the foreground. <laughs> and the weight shift stuff takes a really long time yeah. to make it look real and good. Why not start with some motion capture and just edit it a little bit? And you know, that, So that's one use. Another use is... Um, really complicated actions that, you know, like somebody falling down and kind of like flopping on the ground or something like that, that yeah. would take a really long time to animate, where if we motion capture that as the starting point and then stylize it slightly from there, we could probably save a lot of time and let me once again focus my time on a different part of the shot that yeah. I'm probably a lot more interested in. 
so in, in some senses, it can be kind of a shortcut, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but that shortcut opens up time for us to spend on the more important parts yeah. of performance. So, you know, what we do really does come down to, you know, you have resources and you've got the resources are the, are the people and the machines and the time. <laughs> and if we can get some extra time resource to yeah. spend on the important performance stuff and the way to do that is to, you know, quote unquote, use a shortcut for some parts of the action, I think that's fine. And so it's always going to be a problem with if you take something and just put it straight through a computer onto the screen, it's not going to have that artistic touch. Where right now, at studios that are using motion capture properly, um, that motion capture is being filtered through the eye of an artist who is uh, making decisions about what aspects of that motion capture, what aspects of that motion or performance to exaggerate a little bit, to highlight, to show the audience. I want to make it a little heavier. I want to make it a little snappier. I want to make it a little scarier or whatever. Um, more dynamic, you know? Yeah. The, it's that process that is missing when it just goes from computer to the screen. And that's why, I mean, it's pretty rare that you see that. That's probably only... Well, I, I'll just leave it at that. It's <laughs> rare to see motion capture go straight from the mocap actor to the screen. And the reason is because it's lacking that artistic touch. Mm. And then on a project that has any kind of a budget, they're probably trying to avoid that problem. Yeah. That was a very well-rounded and diplomatic answer, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well <Okay>. done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so Janelle Bidna, I think, but uh, she asks, how does one obtain an entry-level position at a company such as ILM, and what would you suggest someone who has graduated and looking for their first job um, in either animation production or animation? Yeah, okay, that's a really good question, too. I know that that's a, that's a tough thing. Like, you're straight out of school, it's like, okay, now what? Especially if you've gone through a program like Animation Mental or any, any other animation school, you, you've, you're leaving kind of a rigid environment that had deadlines and assignments and progress and something is coming next, and then it's done and there's nothing coming next. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, well, what do I do then? Yeah. Uh, I get that. Yeah. Um, I would say that, kind of back to your previous question about being a student, Mm -hmm. something to remember at that moment is that you are still a student. And just because you finished Animation Mentor or whatever animation school it is, um, it doesn't mean that you're not a student anymore. And it doesn't mean that you're finished with your demo reel. So it's not like you leave school and you've created this like perfect, beautiful, demo reel that you reveal to the world and then you sit back to let the offers roll in. Um, no, you set out your demo reel right away and then you get back to work. Well, take a day off. I, I was just telling my students yesterday, I'm like totally, <laughs> this is so nerdy, but I'm, I'm really addicted to this iPhone game called Marvel Puzzle Quest. Okay. <laughs> which is kind of like, a, I don't know, it's kind of like a like Candy Crush, but with Marvel characters. Oh, okay. Um, Good anyway, uh, I can't believe I'm talking about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I told them when you finish school, like take a day, and it's and that day is just about Marvel Puzzle Quest, and you sit around and play Marvel Puzzle Quest. 
You don't have to animate. You don't have to think about anything. You're just having fun and enjoying that you're done with it. And eating fried and, chicken. And eat fried chicken. That is a good <laughs> idea. I like the way you think. Throw on some, some bourbon and uh, <laughs> set. But then the next day, then you get back to work. Mm-hmm. And you got to turn Marvel Puzzle Quest back off. I know it's hard. <laughs> Struggle with it too. Turn it back off. And uh, you know what? As we're talking, look right now. This oh. is my phone. It says... Your Marvel Puzzle Quest heroes are fully recovered and ready for battle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so then you got to get back to work. Yeah. And it's time to start either refining what is already on your demo reel or do something new to add to your demo reel. Mm-hmm. Ideally, something that adds some variety to your reel. That's always the best idea. Um, as far as getting into a studio like ILM, a huge part of it is going to be, uh, well, that's a, that's a long, intricate answer. <laughs> Let me try to boil it down a little bit. Um, first of all, it's it's not going to be who you know. It's going to be how good your demo reel is. Who you know might help you with getting your demo reel looked at, uh, but it's going to be based on whether or not your demo reel is great. They're never going to hire somebody just because an island animator says that they're good. Yeah. They're going to hire somebody based on whether or not they can do the work. They need to know that you can do the work. So it's going to be based on your reel and then partly on your interview, of course. Uh, so as long as you seem like somebody that will be able to work with and enjoy spending probably way too much time with <laughs> during, the night, during the interview, uh, that combined with a great demo reel, that's how you get in. But um, it kind of boils down to also like what do we want to see on a reel and what do other studios want to see on a reel. And demo reels... You do want to tailor your demo reel to the studio that you're applying at. Uh, you probably don't want to send the exact same demo reel to Weta and mm-hmm. Pixar. Mm-hmm. You probably want them. They might have most of the same shots. Maybe what's different is more the order of those shots. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably they have a little bit different content. Weta's going to be a lot more interested in uh, the body mechanic stuff, but they're also definitely going to want to see acting. Right? Mm-hmm. They're going to want to see performance work. Whereas, but now also would be keen to see more realistic style. Where Pixar, they'll be interested in seeing the, the realistic style and the body mechanics, but they're going to be way more interested in seeing uh, performance stuff mm-hmm. and a more stylized look, mm-hmm. right, to the motion. So some of it is the order and some of it is the content, but you probably don't want to send the same reel to both mm-hmm. places, which I know is hard when you're just... It's very hard. Just out of school, you don't have a lot of content, yeah. Yeah. you know? Your demo reel is 45 seconds, and that's the only 45 seconds you ever animated <laughs> in your life. So I get that. Um, but when you – so what you could do is you finished school yesterday. So today <laughs> I'm sending my demo reel out, and this is all I've got. I've got 45 seconds. This is the style it is, and I'm going to send the same reel to everybody. Yeah. And now I'm going to say, all right, what is my reel missing if I wanted to broaden my job prospects? Well – I mostly focus on cartoony stuff because I really love Rio and I really love The Incredibles. So that was kind of what I focused on. But, oh, wow, there, you know, there's tons of studios out there working in a more realistic style. Mm. Maybe I should do something that's a little more real. So maybe for that next assignment, you push yourself and to you know flex some muscles in a style that you're not as used to and do something a little bit more realistic to add to your reel. And then you could, I think for a while, you could still continue to be sending the same reels out to both types of studios, but they're getting more and more variety. 
variety on the reels. Yeah. And then eventually, if you've got like three or four realistic ones and three or four stylized ones, then maybe you just, you know, you send your four stylized ones and two realistic ones to Pixar and <laughs> realistic ones and two stylized ones to yeah. You know, you can kind of do yeah. start to do that. Um, but yeah, the more variety you can get on your reel is good. For studios like ILM or Weta or Double Negative, Framestore, um, it is not a bad idea at all to try to get some um, like creature work onto your reel. That can make a big difference. It doesn't have to be animation mentors, you know, animals and creatures mm. content, mm. but that is the exact type of content that studios are really hungry to see. And that's not just Weta and ILM, it's also pretty much every video game company out there, um, all of the TV commercials studios out there, and most of the animated, you know, like feature studios out there are yeah. interested in that as well. So that's a type of animation that I don't see on demo reels very much that has been a big win mm. for, um, at least recently at ILM and uh, some of the other studios, as far as getting... Um, getting junior animators in, yeah. that's been helping a lot. Seeing okay. some creature work on the reel. Yeah. Some dra you know, dragon flying in and a, a lion is running around and, or whatever it is. Yeah. Like that, that helps a lot with giving them the confidence that you can do the type of work that they're going to do. Mm. And also, it adds this whole other dimension to your reel as far as like job opportunities go where most of the VFX movies out there have some kind of creature in it. And most of the video games out there have some kind of creatures in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's very common that, you know, like we're going to animate a dragon, we'll hardly see any demo that have dragons on them. And then if there is one with a dragon, you're like, oh, yeah. hey, they're already thinking about dragons. Maybe they would work well with the project we're doing. So the more kind of variety you can get on your reel, the better. Yeah. And that, that's a great way to add some variety, something like the Animals and Creatures class. Mm -hmm. Cool. I'm not, I'm not trying to sell the animals and creatures class, but that type of <laughs> can really make a big difference. And, yeah. and I know that recently we've hired a bunch of animators at ILM based almost solely on their animals and creatures yeah. class work. Well, I can see why it would, you know, benefit, absolutely. Um, Gabriel Ryan Davis, he kind of asks the same question, but we can see if there's something more to add to it. Um, he asks, for an up-and-coming animator, someone looking to get their first job or make a break into features, this is a really long question. <laughs> okay. My answers are really long, so that works out. <laughs> um, how would you recommend they go about continuing to develop their skill set? Is it better to specialize in a particular type of animation, i.e. character acting shots versus creature VFX style shots, and really become specialized earlier on? Or would you recommend they try different types of shots and be more balanced in the overall animation skill set? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question and a little bit of a different dynamic to that kind of similar it's a similar question, but it adds a different yeah. twist to it. I like that. Um, yeah. I always feel like being a successful animator depends on a somewhat laser focus on the art of animation, especially when you're first learning. And if you are focused on being a generalist, that's fine. And there's lots of studios that are interested in, in generalists for specific jobs, especially the smaller the studio gets, the more general yeah. the, the roles become. Um, so it's not like that's a bad thing or something. Uh, and there are roles for generalists at, at most studios. Um, but if you are specifically interested in being an animator and you want to be a good animator, 
like we talked about before, the art of animation is just too complex and deep to be able to excel in it while splitting time with trying to also become a good sculptor and also become good at painting textures. And like all of those disciplines require a lot of time yeah. to become an expert in, right? So to be a good animator, you gotta just focus on animation. So that's the first step. And then within that, sounds like uh, Gabriel's talking about, is Gabriel? Yeah. Is that right? yep. Sounds like Gabriel's talking about within animation, if I'm only gonna focus on animation, <laughs> Within that, do I also like need to pick a focus? And I, I think, um, I think that you can secretly have a focus in the back of your mind of what you would like to do in a perfect world. Mm -hmm. But I do think that if you if you choose a focus when you're learning, or you choose a focus for your reel, and say, for example, I'm I'm only interested in working in uh, stylized animation yeah um then you are cutting out especially in that decision you're cutting out way more than half of the animation jobs out there as far as like having job opportunities go so if you know that there's all these like vfx studios and all these video game studios and all these commercial studios and a good chunk of the feature animated studios would also be interested in some amount of not super cartoony style. Um, if you know that that's the case and you still decide my demo reel is only going to look super stylized, you know, either you, you just have to know going into that decision that you're cutting out a lot of the job opportunities and maybe that's fine. Maybe you don't need a job right away and you know that you all you want to do is super stylized animation and somewhere might find you and, and be a great fit and it, it could it could work out great mm -hmm. and even if it doesn't maybe that's fine and you don't care then that's <laughs> fine if your goal is to get a job and maybe work your way up to that place in time where you can say well I just want to do this type of animation yeah. then I think it's a terrible idea to pick a focus for your reel and instead I would say the opposite that you don't want to focus for your reel you want variety on your demo reel, and you want to show that you're good at a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. And and that way, if the studio only wants stylized stuff, you've got a couple stylized things, and they're like, those are pretty awesome. And if they only want like realistic stuff, you've got a couple realistic shots, they're like, oh, that's awesome. So you can really broaden your job prospects by having some amount of variety on mm -hmm. your demo reel. That's cool. Um, well, I want to go back to something because you were talking before about um, you were animating on Jurassic World and about the tail and stuff like that and pushing it. And I wanted to find out about pushing how you push your poses and particularly in terms of VFX because it doesn't seem to me that you would have to push it that much, but evidently you do. So how do you go about pushing your poses? Yeah, you know, for, for visual effects type of work, it's a, it's a lot of the same types of issues just on a like a micro level <laughs> so um, you know we're still doing a lot of exaggerating but subtle exaggeration <laughs> which sounds like a dichotomy of words but we're exaggerating these different ideas and poses in more subtle ways yeah. so I can't do the same type of pose on a Jurassic World T-Rex that you could do with a Toy Story T-Rex <laughs> right but but it's the same ideas as far as um, 
you know, trying to get some cool pose on the dinosaur, just in a more subtle way that maybe is, isn't a hundred percent real. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like, I took it instead of a hundred percent real, it's like 92% real, but that's still real enough that it feels real yeah. whilst, while looking cooler. Yeah. Uh, so it really boils down to, um, trying to get a little bit more of a dynamic action, a dynamic line of action through the bodies. Mm-hmm. That, that's a big part of um, what we're doing. Uh, trying to push the poses into something that feels a smidge more comic book or a smidge mm-hmm. more um, powerful. Trying to get, like, you know, visual effects work especially tends to be a lot of scary characters, fighting characters, or big, powerful characters. Uh, and so for those especially, you know, we try to help create those feelings by giving them slightly more powerful poses or slightly more uh, more forceful actions, mm. you know, punching a little harder than they would need to yeah. or, you know, exaggerating those things in those ways or getting uh, a lot of it also for visual effects work, I found it also boils down to clarity, trying to get your uh, poses and actions to be as clear as they can so the ideas can be as clear as they can and the emotions can be as clear as they can. That's a big challenge for any animator working in any style. But for visual effects, especially when you know your character is getting placed inside of a lot of smoke and explosions <laughs> and other things are running around, and, like, clarity really becomes a, a huge part of VFX type of work. And a lot of that boils down to Subtle exaggerations of specific motions that will make the action become clear. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm thinking specifically of an example from Transformers. So the second Transformers? I guess it's the second Transformers movie. Where I had this character and he's like in all this smoke and he's going to hit this helicopter out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And in order to get that to read, I did the huge, like, in, in one sense, it's a wildly cartoony amount of exaggeration where his anticipation to the hit is like <laughs> 140 degree rotation of the upper body yeah. he swings his arms like it, the anticipation is way 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 more than he would ever need to do yeah. but I did it kind of slowly and, and made sure that it felt um, like within the idea being so exaggerated I tried to make the motion feel realistic and so that's a way to have kind of a, a, you know, more stylized type of exaggeration in a realistic work mm. where you're trying to make the motion look real but the idea of what the motion is doing is way bigger than he would actually need to do in order for the audience to really get it and see that the helicopter is going to get hit. And I want there to be this huge wind-up and a big anticipation so there's plenty of time to go, oh, there's a helicopter, oh, there's a robot. Oh, the helicopter's getting kind of close. Oh, it's getting ready to do something with the helicopter. Uh-oh, helicopter. And then bang! So you get some time to, yeah. you know, and really that all goes by really quickly. But before I had that big wind-up in there, it was very confusing. And, mm. So that's that's an example of the type of things that we might be exaggerating and pushing. Yeah. Uh, poses end up being a big one. Like I said, line of action through the body, That that's a huge part mm. of it. Like trying to get a nice, strong line of action from the... You know, on a punch, maybe something strong that's going all the way from the toe to the to the fist. You know, yeah. so you get this big strong moment, even just for like a, an instant, and then you kind of come out of that, and hopefully you can pull it off so that it doesn't look too comic booky, but it feels kind of like it invokes that superhero pose, that power yeah. of that. That's something we do a lot, or that I try to do a lot. 
Cool. <laughs> there was something else that I read in an interview from you, was simplified complexity and yeah. throwing dirt in the curves. Now, for me, I'm not sure how to go about implementing that into my shots in the correct way, so it's not just like bad arcs. Um, so I'm wondering if you can elaborate on the term and maybe what's the intention behind it and how, why would you need to put it into a shot? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So, um, so there's a couple of aspects to that. One is, as far as simplified complexity goes, I, I guess I mean a couple different things by that. One is that, um, in a, in a, let's say that you've got a big creature, and it could be a, a dinosaur, or it could be a, a robot, or whatever. Let's go with robots for the sake of having lots of parts. <laughs> um, but a dinosaur is the same because they have all these muscles and things like that that are it's the same idea, the tail and the claws. Um, so either dinosaur or robot, whatever. Um, you need that character to feel like one organism. And you want it to, in the, at least in the cases I'm picturing in my mind right now, you, I would want those specific things to feel big. So big, single organisms. And in order to achieve that, I need lots of subtle little secondary actions that bring it to life, whether that's muscles firing on the dinosaur or the way the, the claws are reacting to the ground or, or whatever. Um, or on a robot, it could be like little you know, wheels kind of rotating into place or nuts and bolts kind of moving or, or guns rotating into position. Mm. Little secondary actions that are hopefully subtle enough to not distract from the main action, but, um, but work to give an overall complexity to the character that make it feel like he's the sum of all of these parts mm. that are all working together to create this movement instead of imagine if none of that stuff was moving it would make it feel small because something huge moving around like that like when I went to the construction sites and I was watching how those cranes are moving and stuff there's lots of parts and those parts affect each other and they're affected by each other and if if it was just rock solid and nothing was affecting each other I think that it would feel small and light and yeah. faint and so that's a, um, a technique or a way for me to kind of try to verbalize a technique that um, further brings to life a character and makes it feel like this one big cohesive organism instead of lots of separate little parts moving or, in, or rather instead of something where like, not, you know, imagine the dinosaur with no muscles or all the little, you know, claw, all the little things that come together to make it feel like all the overlapping actions are affecting each other. Yeah. That, that stuff needs to be in there, but it has to be simplified to the point where it's not distracting. Mm. So I want that complexity, but I want it to be a stylized complexity, a simplified complexity, so that I'm not seeing every little nut and bolt <laughs> rotate into place and the guns rotating into place. I'm not maybe noticing all of the tons of little things that I animated in there, mm. but instead I'm seeing one big organism. Yeah. And then as far as the adding dirt to the curves, that's just something that I'm talking about on a really super subtle level where the end result is probably something where you, where that arc probably still looks pretty great, but we've taken the edge off of the perfection of it. So in VFX work, it probably feels a little bit more real. For Hotel T or something like that, you probably want a perfect, beautiful arc. That's what I imagine it. Yeah. And I don't know that you would use that technique 
so much in a more stylized mm -hmm. animation. But for, for us, something that I'll do is when I first animate it, I try to make it have as beautiful of an arc as I can. Mm -hmm. Arcs are something that for me personally, I, I'm like, I, I, I'm a total arc Nazi for my shots. <laughs> I'm trying to make all of the extremities be on like these nice arcs and the nose is on a nice yeah. arc. I try to make everything on these nice arcs. That's a big part of how I animate. Uh, but then at the end, part of my polish phase is to screw those arcs up <laughs> just a tiny little bit. Yeah. And what I'll do is in Maya, I'll just select a channel that I'm going to save a key on and I'll hit play in my scene. And then I go to my hotkey where I save a key and I just start playing a little song. <laughs> like that. And then I'll stop it. And then bloop, it just put all these random keys on my curve. And then whatever I happen to put in there, I'll just go in and I'll just... I'll move a, a keyframe up just barely, and I'll change the tangents of another one just barely. So I get a slightly wobbly yeah. curve instead of this beautiful line that I used to have. Interesting. And, and that serves to... It doesn't look all that different, yeah. but it can feel a little bit more real. Yeah. And for me, every little bit matters. Yeah, it's true. I've heard similar things about in uh, Ratatouille. So I've heard this term about putting dirt in the curves in different contexts, and I was like, okay. it's kind of strange to hear about it in Ratatouille, but now I get what you mean in just those little bits. Okay, I yeah. see. Cool. See. Um, well, of all the characters you've animated, which do you feel you had the most input into the final result of? Wow. <laughs> okay, that's a cool question. Um... Huh. <laughs> That's hard. Okay. Well, there's there's some transformers that I feel that way. Um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to be a lead animator on, on all the Transformers movies, mm. and and so in that role, I've got to have an effect on a variety of the of the characters, which has been really fun. Yeah. I'm super. I mean, I love working on those. It's a total blast. I'm a big fan of Transformers too. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Right on. Well, they're a lot of fun to work on. Not easy, but yeah. fun. Um, that's that's one of those um, terrifying but awesome. Like, you know how animation starts off terrifying but yeah. awesome and becomes awesome but terrifying? <laughs> Working on Transformers goes back to terrifying but awesome. Um, uh, so it can be really daunting. Yeah. Um, but I think I would have to say there's a movie called Noah that came out uh, last mm. year. Yeah. Um, and that has these very controversial characters, I guess. Some, you either love or hate these characters. Um, <laughs> there's these big kind of rock monster uh, angels, like these fallen angels in that film. Mm. Uh, and the idea is like there's, there's these divine um, beings made of, of light, made of energy up in heaven. And they're like, oh, God, the humans are blowing it. We want to go help them. And God's like, all right, well, okay, you can go down and help them. But if you do, then you can't come back. And they're like, all right, dude, well, we're going. And he's like, okay, go. So they're like, okay, bye. That conversation is natural. <laughs> and they fly down to Earth, and they're just in this energy form, and they slam into the ground, and and they get corrupted immediately by the by the Earth, and oh, okay. and um, kind of mud and lava rock sort of form crusts around their energy, kind of trapping them in these misshapen forms. And mm. I think the idea in the movie is that only the creator can create something perfectly, and so they're like amateurs, and they kind of end up in these kind of messed up bodies. Yeah. So the, um, the request from the director was to make them look and move like nothing you'd ever seen before. <laughs> As an animator, is a pretty tall Yeah. Because yeah. everything moves like something. 
Um, so we spent a lot of months uh, doing <laughs> development tests, and I did a gajillion walk cycles, trying to trying a, a ton of different ideas. Um, and we kind of settled on on kind of a disabled feel to the to the walks, mm. a little less disabled in the battle scenes. They can once they really get into their battle mode, then their kind of warrior angel nature comes out more, and they can really uh, defend the arc from the oncoming hordes of of people that want to get on the boat. Um, but I think for the generally, we kind of settled on like a mix between you know a bit of a disabled feel with also kind of a crusty, rocky, almost stop motiony kind of jitter mm. to some of the some of the motions, and you know, uh, love it or hate it, I, I got <laughs> to kind of own it a little bit. Yeah. I'm probably responsible for some of how those guys look. Um, That's cool. And and I that was a really fun process. And, yeah. uh, I'm a big fan of Darren Aronofsky, and getting to work with him was really thrilling. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. He he has a very evolutionary style or like a like his his style of working is very exploratory mm -hmm. uh so it took a long time to kind of hone in on on what it was that he was looking for and and that was a fun process and, and also a rewarding one you're kind of making me fall in love with vfx because it seems like you do something different every day it's like there's always something new and something interesting that is totally true, and I do think there's a little bit more of that in the, in VFX. Yeah, a little there's bit. a little bit more of having huge differences. Yeah, yeah, work. big differences. Exactly. And the style might be super different, yeah. or at least the type of thing you're working on is probably really different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in knowing about the um, Transformers rigs and how the heck they work. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I can't talk too much about. Oh um, yeah, probably. You know, proprietary, like yeah. specific ILM stuff. Yeah. But I will say, like they've already said in the press that um, the coolest thing about those Transformers rigs is that we have the ability, using these tools called TFM tools, we can create on the fly controls and pivot points to move anything on the body we want at any time, anywhere, which is really fun and really exciting, and also back to the <laughs> terrifying, terrifying thing. Where suddenly you can do anything, and you know if you want, the kneecap can flip up the, the top yeah. of the body and land on the nose and wiggle around and whatever. <laughs> like you can do anything. So there's there is kind of that panicky moment of like, oh my god, yeah, like literally anything could happen. Like mm. what should I do? And that can be very intimidating. Mm. So I, I do think that it was a little bit of a challenge, especially when we first got those tools, to. Uh, I don't know, to, to try to like limit yourself a little bit or decide <laughs> when you're done with the shot because there's always another screw you can yeah. run into. So it's, you know, trying to find that balance between that simplified complexity of yeah. enough things moving around that it feels like one big cohesive uh, robot, but not so many that it's like this distracting buzz, yeah. like a visual buzz happening all over the character. Yeah, that's true. So there is kind of this fine line that has to happen. All of the transformations are done um, individually. There's no like transformer transformation slider or something. Yeah. Um, every transformation is custom done um, to the basically just trying to make it look as cool as it can look to that very specific camera angle. So they're all one-offs, and wow. um, 
the actual transformations are it's a combined effort between the animators and our, our riggers, our creature dev guys. Mm -hmm. But uh, most of the kind of heavy lifting of the transformation is done by the creature dev department, and they're phenomenal at what they do. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. pretty amazing. So, um, off like another side of animation, what to you is the secret of animation? What is the secret of animation? Yeah. <laughs> the secret? Yeah. Wow. The secret of animation. Yeah. The secret. Or you can also say, like, what is the most important thing you know about animation? <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'll tell you where my brain goes immediately. I don't know if this is going to be a good answer or not. <laughs> um, uh, but I don't think that the secret of animation has a whole lot to do with, um, with the work itself. I think it's about you as the artist. And the secret... The secret is being, or trying to be, trying to stay inspired, trying to, no, it's, you know what, that's not even right. It's not about trying. <laughs> do or do not. <laughs> what did you want to say? It's not, it's not about trying. It's about loving it. And the secret is, the secret kind of really does boil down to love. Yeah. Like loving, um, if not the process, then the finished result. Yeah. Um, but hopefully loving the process also. Uh, it's about loving what you do. And if you, if you love it enough, then you will continue to be that student of animation that you need to be in order to excel at it. It's about having that deep enough love for it that you really care about your work and wanting it to look good and not letting yourself get cocky to the point of like, Oh, I, I've done that before. I know what I'm doing. I, I know. I know all about animation. I don't need to keep on paying attention to what everybody else is doing. I don't <laughs> learn anymore about animation. And then suddenly, everybody passes you up, and animation is not very good anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> so why? You know, if you don't have the love for it, that passion for it, then you can't have that drive to continue to excel. Um, or if you do, it feels like it must be some kind of a corrupted drive that's coming from a different place. <laughs> You know, where it's just it's a job instead of this passion that you have to bring characters to life in a, a believable and a memorable and an exciting and a fun way for audiences to be affected by. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to make them laugh and cry and, and scream and, <laughs> and enjoy something and, and remember something and just you're trying to thrill them and you're trying to inspire them the way that I was inspired when I saw Empire Strikes Back mm -hmm. when I was five years old. Somebody made hot, and they put their heart and their soul into it, and they loved doing it, yeah. and it changed my life. And maybe my, my little robot shot might affect somebody in some way, or, or yeah. combined with all, all of my other animator friends' robot shots, all together we can affect somebody to grow up to make something even way better beyond our wildest dreams yeah. of, of what we're trying to do. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's about having a passion for what we do, and a love for your craft. Mm. And I think that the secret is, is loving it because without that love, you're, you're going to get tired fast in this job. Yeah. It's, you know, this is not a lazy job, <laughs> as you well know. It's a lot of late nights. It's yeah. a lot of hard work. And it's endless study. Yeah. Who signs up for something that the education takes the rest of your life? <laughs> not many people are yeah. eager for that. It's true. You know? 
That's true. Um, so I think it's a very specific type of personality, and hopefully it's a personality that can embrace kind of the, the difficulty of the job and, and love it even when it sucks. <laughs> and love it even when it's really hard yeah. and really frustrating, yeah. you know, which it can be. It can be really frustrating. Yeah. It, it can be. Maybe you animate something that you love and the director didn't like it. You're like, what? Or it gets what? cut and the director likes it, but it still gets cut. Yeah, or it gets cut out of the movie yeah. and you just pour your heart and soul into it for yeah. a month and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And you gotta just get back on the horse and animate some more. And that can be really hard. And how do you do that if you don't love it? You gotta love it. Yeah. You know, without that love, I, I just don't know how it would be possible to keep up, let alone excel yeah, as an animator. And, and most importantly of all, to have fun and be happy doing it. Yeah. So through those frustrations, you have to be able to to come out of it and and be happy. And I don't know. I, I do feel like there's some kind of nuts and bolts beyond love, like little things that you can try to remember that, you know, I try to tell people that you are a tool. Don't forget that yeah. you are a tool. You are the animators. You are the director's tool yeah. the same way that Maya is your tool. Yeah. And it's not your shot. It's his shot. Yeah. And, and keeping that stuff in mind can help you avoid some of the more soul-crushing restrictions. <laughs> uh, you know, and then also, something I've been telling people lately is to try to embrace failure and to fail big, fail spectacularly <laughs> people with your attempts and your decisions and try new things and don't yeah. just redo the same thing ten times that you already know that you can animate because you're trying to impress somebody. Instead, push yourself and try something new and, and, and blow it and fail and learn from that failure and do something again that you get a little bit better and you fail again and you learn <laughs> from that failure and you try something else and guess what? You fail again! <laughs> So then you do it again, and you get a little bit better, and pretty soon you're doing good animation. So, you know, you can't go through that process of failing spectacularly and kind of enjoying and appreciating that failure unless you love what you do and you have a, a dream and a vision of where you want to go, and, and, and at least you love what you want to become, you know, the work that you want to end up doing. Yeah. And maybe you're failing right now over and over, but... Maybe eventually you'll fail less often. <laughs> but guess what? You're probably still going to fail sometimes. And that's okay. And if you're not failing at least sometimes, then I don't know that you're approaching this art correctly. <laughs> you got to try new things and, and push it. You've inspired that's me to show my shot now on Monday and just enjoy failing in front of my supervisor. I will, I I will love it. I fail spectacularly. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> fail big. <laughs> Well, you learn from it, right? Like, yeah, it's true. Awesome. No, it's very you true. Learn from that, and wow, just and I mean, even just like I said on Jurassic World, Glenn's doing these amazing drawings over the top of my work. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I tried that. I didn't do it quite right. He's showing me a better way, yeah. and I learned from that failure. And I could have maybe taken a safer route, but instead, we ended up in a better place. Yeah, and that's what it should be all about. Absolutely. I feel every day when Abner keeps coming over and looking at my shotgun, this part doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> like, okay. Damn it! Okay. That's, that's one of the best parts about our job, yeah. is that it's collaborative like yeah. that. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's, it's not true. just, especially once you get to a studio, or if you're part of a school like Animation Mentor, or you're part of an online community somewhere else, then, 
you know, it's not just you in your basement animating for your yeah, mom. Yeah. Like you're, you're creating something for other people to see, and hopefully, at least eventually, you're creating something with other people in a collaborative way. Mm. And that's when you're, you know, you're really learning. Yeah, it's true. From I, the failures, especially. I have to say, your mom's not going to tell you anything about that failure. She's going to think it's great. I have to say, the animation mentor students or graduates that I met in work and like throughout, even outside of work, they're the ones best at giving feedback. They really, oh, that's great. They're really honest, but also supportive and genuine about it. And most other people, even professionals, would can't top the feedback from animation mentor students. They usually give like little bit of notes, maybe like maybe lift their shoulders up here a little bit. But the animation mentor students will come in and just blow your shot out of the water and like give you great <laughs> feedback, you know. <laughs> but in a great way. I love hearing that. Good. I love hearing that. That's great. Um, I was wondering, how do you define define appeal in animation, and if it's different in creature and VFX as opposed to character animation? Appeal is a tricky thing to talk about, and I feel like it means different things to different animators. Mm. Some people talk about appeal uh, for a character design. Some people talk about appeal in regards to. Um, little kind of acting quirks and secondary actions in the performance. Some people talk about it in terms of facial performances. Uh, I've heard Appeal talked about in terms of kind of anything that is um, entertaining to the audience. Yeah. You know, there's Appeal maybe in a Transformers transformation yeah. that maybe doesn't have a whole lot to do with, uh, or maybe it's even in spite of <laughs> character designs, or uh, maybe it doesn't have a lot to do with you know, specific acting ideas or whatever, but it's just cool to look at. It's yeah. like big things slamming around and boom, oh my gosh, it's a robot. <laughs> like something, to me, there's something exciting and appealing about that. Yeah. And I don't know that it, it's necessarily different between VFX and feature animation as much as it's different between animators and just how they choose to think about that word, mm. you know? That's that's of all of the like principles of animation. Yeah. That's the trickiest vocabulary wise. The one so. that people have kind of the most personal response to. I find uh, for me, appeal is more about. It, it's almost like this intangible quality of of like coolness. <laughs> like I, I think about appeal in terms of is this. If I'm trying to think of, like, does my shot have appeal, what I'm really thinking about is, is anybody going to remember this shot? Yeah. <laughs> and and if, if not, why not? And what can I do to make them remember this shot? Yeah. And, you know, trying to make something dynamic or exciting or, or powerful or some little idea that I put in the shot that, you know, I don't know, or maybe I made it slow motion for yeah. some... You know, I want you to see this guy's eye pop out or something like crazy <laughs> fight move. Um, you know, appeal for me boils down to, like, the thing in the shot that makes it memorable and entertaining. Yeah, that's true. I want to just check in with you. How are you for time? Have you got it's totally up to you. I'm fine. I'm not going to bed right now. It's <laughs> up to you. If you want to end it, that's fine, too. No, no, no. We'll keep, we'll keep going for a little bit longer, if that's okay. okay. Cool. Um... <laughs> What advice do you have for coming up with ideas? Do you like keep notebooks or do you watch movies or like take stuff from life? How do you come up with ideas? Yeah, as far as coming up with ideas, I think a lot of it boils down to um, like soaking up the world around you, just like you said, mm -hmm. and trying to stay inspired. And for me, um, 
it's important to get away from animation sometimes and do the things that I love that get me inspired or got me inspired to do this in the first place. And I, I read a lot. And I love novels. And I, I read graphic novels. Uh, I love TV. I'll, I'll go watch like Game of Thrones or, or what? I just watched Daredevil. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> I shouldn't spoil. There's one thing about it I didn't like, but I'm not going to spoil it. Otherwise, it's awesome. Um, you know, or, or I've got things up above my desk yeah. that inspire me. Sometimes it's just like looking up and remembering like, oh, that, you know, that's really neat. Or I've got a little like R2-D2 up here. Or yeah. Things like that that remind me of it. Oh, yeah. There's my Yoda. Okay, cool. <laughs> so it's like trying to stay inspired by trying to stay inspired to the point where like your inspiration gas tank doesn't run out. Yeah. And that might mean going to the zoo or going to the beach or or doing what or playing with your kids or whatever it is that like refills that gas tank. That tank can run out, and you need to stay inspired, both so that you have the stamina and and excitement to power through the amount of work it takes to get these shots done, but also so that you can file away in this little filing cabinet in your head all of these things that you observe. Mm. And observation for animators is such a huge, important part of what we do. And being observant isn't just a casual, you know, <laughs> noticing the world around you. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think like, taking a casual notice of something counts. <laughs> being observant is like being a scientist of like your something happens and it caught your eye and you can't just say you can't just notice it and be like, oh that's interesting. No, like stop and why was that interesting? What made you notice that? What caught your eye? About, you know, maybe you walk past somebody and you're like, oh that person's interesting. Like why? Were they is it just a, were they attractive? Were they they have like a really strange walk? Was it were they bouncier than normal? Did they have like floppy wrists or like some weird hat or like what was it about that person that made you notice them? And it's important as animators that we have a very uh, like a conscious, constant effort to absorb the world around us in a heightened way, mm. in order that we in order to be able to file those memories away in that like a filing cabinet in your head that you can draw ideas from later that aren't just going to be like oh yeah I saw an interesting person on the street instead <laughs> they'll be oh yeah that guy on the street had this crazy like bouncy walk that made his nose do like this really weird figure eight arc as he walked past me and it made his hat bounce around <laughs> I can put that into my scene and like really knowing all the little things that came together to make that person interesting can create an observation that you'll be able to use as a legitimate idea later that won't feel cliche mm. and it'll feel real and unique and that's what will make it interesting and memorable and that's part of appeal, right? Mm. That's like we were talking about yeah. appeal. That's, that's a big part of that process. So yeah, I think as far as ideas come, at least for me personally, it's soaking in the world around me and then squashing those <laughs> memories up with my own imagination and dreams yeah. and and barfing out some <laughs> idea. They're like, you see these things, you squash stuff together and you say, oh, well, maybe maybe this robot should wrap around a skyscraper and make the skyscraper fall down. <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't have any idea you know, where that came from other than just thinking you know, it would be cool. And I guess I was thinking about, you know, like snakes tightening their grip around, you know, like things that I've seen. 
Yeah. You know, and, and how that might translate into a big, exciting action in a in a movie. Uh, for something like uh, for for a shot specific example, how I, how I will approach the ideas mm. fate. Um, in Noah, there's a scene that I did, like kind of a long scene where there's a 360 degree camera that orbits around one of those rock monsters who's just smashing tons of guys that are trying to get to the ark. And so I just made a big long list of all the ways I could think of that this guy could kill someone. <laughs> so violent. It's more than it violent. It was like, this needs to be a big violent shot of, yeah. this, of this guy killing all these people trying to get to the ark. So I made a big list of, you know, he can he can stomp on the, on a guy, he can smash a guy with a rock, he can throw guys, he can, you know, whatever. I made yeah. this big long list. And then I just tried to figure out how can I, how many frames would I need to <laughs> fit all of these deaths in? Um, and then within the frames that I can get, like how many of these ideas can I actually fit in there in a way that'll, that, that my favorites of them will read? Mm. And then trying to just kind of pepper in lots of other deaths, just as kind of that simplified complexity, but also just trying to create a feeling like he's this windmill of death that's just going <laughs> to just like kill everybody. And no matter where you look, I want you to see that he's killing someone. <laughs> he's got like six arms and he's, he's just smashing people everywhere. So, um, uh, so I just made this big list and then I pitched the whole list. And I said, you can do this and this and this. And I, I got all of them in there except for one, which was he's made of, of rock. And I thought it would be gross, but maybe a cool death if a guy got on his back and then and then he could kind of lift his arms and flex his back muscles, his scapula and crush him together. Yeah, and squish the guy. <laughs> and it's in the rain, and I just kind of pictured like bloody rain sort of dripping off of his back, which is gr- it's really gross. But um, actually, it's a really cool idea, and they didn't let you do it, no? Yeah, that one I think was. I can't remember if. I remember that they laughed when I proposed it. <laughs> I don't remember if they ever came around to letting me try it, or if it was just a matter of I didn't have enough time, enough time yeah. to fit in every idea. <laughs> and trying to the other big challenge for that, and especially in VFX, the other big challenge is trying to the puzzle of which of these deaths will read from what angle in the shot mm. because the camera's going all around him yeah. and he's also turning around yeah. during it. Wow. So trying to figure out like, well, a kick would read really well here and picking a guy off of him and throwing him would read better over here. Mm. And so trying to put that puzzle together was really super fun, but also not easy. That's mad. Like how do you work with a moving camera and then animation and everything? How do you plan that shot? <laughs> yeah, well that shot is, in particular, it was a slightly easier for the camera because I got to animate the camera mm-hmm. for that shot. Um, so there was no play, it's a completely digital shot. Mm-hmm. Pretty often in visual effects, you can't change the camera yeah. a whole lot, if at all. Yeah. Um, and in those cases, it really does just become a puzzle of trying to um, create actions that feel like they are causing the camera motions. Mm-hmm. So trying to make it feel like the cameraman and the monster were on the set on the same day and if the camera, like, jerks or something or moves to the right, I need to figure out some kind of action or fight movement that would make the cameraman look over them. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of kind of the fun puzzle of what VFX work is. Mm-hmm. For that Noah shot in particular, the camera I animated myself, but we did kind of get a buy-off on the camera before 
Yeah. I mean, the animation was really rudimentary when I got a buy off on the camera. Yeah. So it still kind of became that same issue where I, I couldn't change the camera much. Yeah. I could sort of barely change it when I needed to, but yeah. not much. So it did become this big puzzle of, well, what will read well when? Yeah. That's kind of where you have to start. <laughs> not like that. Because clarity is such an important thing in these movies. And again, a lot of times it's the shots aren't set up in a way that helps you clarity-wise. For that Noah shot, it's dark and it's raining and he's made of gray rock <laughs> and he's standing on a gray ground <laughs> with like gray guys all around him in the background also fighting yeah so i'm trying to do kind of more broad actions on the guys in the background so you kind of feel like they're wailing away on guys but then the dude in the foreground just trying to plan his actions in a way that will read really clearly yeah. and have things like kicks happen more more in profile you know, so that we can really see the legs swing out. Yeah. Things like that make a big difference. And planning-wise, I would go into acting room at work a lot. In front of them, there's these big mirrors. I would just kind of stomp <laughs> around and imagine killing lots of guys. And what, what would the timing be like? And, and then I would I film myself a bunch of times to see what read best when. And yeah. I only have two arms, so it's not like I can do it. But he's got, I guess really he's got five arms and then a little nub that can't do anything. So, you know, he's got five arms to kill people with, and I need to figure out, <laughs> plus, plus his feet and legs, and yeah. have him squish some guys. I, I don't know. I don't know if you've seen it, but... I haven't. I will now, though, because it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> In a weird, morbid way. Yeah, a lot of the work we do is weird and morbid. That's, that's a good description of uh, about half of the movies I've worked on. What would you say was the most difficult shot you worked on? You know what? It's probably that, that one. Shot. There's a few. There's a, a shot in Transformers 2 of, um, again, another kind of 360-degree mm. camera orbiting around of a character called Devastator waking up. And he's a he's a, a really huge Transformer bad guy mm. made out of all these different tractors, Constructicons. <laughs> uh, who come together, and, and they be, he becomes this giant creature. Yeah. Um, and so trying to figure out how he transforms and wakes up and turns on and how all of those secondary actions on him are going to work and then how how he wakes up. That, that was a really hard challenge for me. But the Noah one was the bigger challenge yeah. because it's a long shot. I forget how many frames. It's, it's a lot of frames. Um, I've got, I think, 20 Angel Warrior guys in the background who are, like, killing people. You can't see half of them because they're in the rain, but they're all, they're all animated. Um, and then the dude in the foreground is animated. And then I think I animated 57 humans in that shot, oh running in and getting stepped on or thrown or squished or whatever. Um, that's a good example of... I did use some motion capture to help mm. at different moments in that shot. Uh, I got a lot of help from doing... I did, like two different run cycles, and then a couple different versions of those run yeah. cycles. So uh, lots of keyframe running. Of you know, That's like half of their action. They're just running <laughs> in the arc. And, and then either they stop to fight or they're trying to get past them and die. Yeah. But I did use some motion capture here and there for like guys falling over or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and that was really helpful. Um, but then, like I said, I have to kind of stylize it a little bit and, yeah. and do a lot of keyframe on top of that motion capture. But still, it was a lot of guys to animate. So I think that shot 
plus animating the camera. That that was probably the most complicated. Was that the only shot you did in that entire movie? It just took you that whole time just to do it? <laughs> long time. It did take a while, but no, I, I did a bunch of shots in that movie. I was on that movie for a long time. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I'm trying to think how long that shot took. I, I don't know. It'd be hard to say because, like you said, I was working on other shots at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I bet it took at least... Uh, it's hard to say. I don't know. Probably like five weeks or six weeks. <laughs> it would take I, me I, months. It might have even taken a couple months. I don't know. It'd be interesting to add up all that time. I don't know. It's a <laughs> lot of... That's the most I've ever animated in one shot, for yeah, sure. Say so. Yeah. It's mad because, like, you don't have any... Do you have crowds that help you out? Crowd animators? Or... No. No? No. Uh, I, I don't let me do all the... <laughs> all the animation is done by you. Which is cool in one yeah. way. But also adopting in another. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a simulations department that'll help with, like, cloth simulation mm. or... Or in that example in that Noah shot, one of his weapons is a chain. Mm. So in my animation, I, I blocked in a chain that I kind of used roughly. Yeah. But then they go in and they simulate the chain to make it look all nice. Ah. So that helps a lot. Uh, That's good. But yeah, and we do very rarely, if there's a huge crowd of like thousands of people, which is pretty rare. But if there's a, something like that, I'm not animating thousands. <laughs> in those cases, there is... Like the crowd simulation being done yeah. by the um, creature, de- the creature guys. Yeah. Creature development um, rigors and yeah. TDs. Thank God for them. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, what do you feel are the most important things you've done to get yourself where you are today? I think that um, something that I say to people sometimes is is that there's something about. My, my grandfather said something to me similar to this once, and it really stuck with me that, that there's a difference between um, following a dream and hunting a dream. And that a lot of people have a dream, and they follow that dream. But they might just follow it around forever and not get any closer to it at all. And there's a difference between that and consciously every day trying to hunt that dream down and, and catch it and grab on tight and try not, not to let go no matter how hard it tries to shake you free. There's, there's something about the animators that I've met that work at these big studios. Those people are dream hunter type mm-hmm. of people. They're not like dream followers. Yeah. People that talk about like, oh, it'd be cool to do this someday. Or, um, you know, they're, they're people that are like, they had that thought, it would be cool to do this someday, but then they went out and, and did it and hunted that down. And I don't want to belittle like anybody's achievements or or make it seem like it's super easy if you just try to do it every day. Because it's not. <laughs> no. It doesn't mean that everybody will be able to achieve that dream either. And I'm not, I don't want it to sound like I don't think that I'm really lucky and blessed to get to do what I do because I do think that. And like I said, there was that crazy chain of events of I, I'm only here talking to you because of people like Wayne Gilbert and Bill Hennis and John Ruth and these guys that were my mentor mm. early on. That's the only reason that I'm here to doing what I do. Yeah. And and so it really is it's thanks to them. It's not because I hunted my dream. <laughs> but I only really met them because I was trying yeah, to Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I do think that there's something 
there's something to be said for that um, and for really making a, a conscious effort mm. to, to try to find that dream. Yeah. And whether that's you getting a hold of Oftenal or me, like calling around about 3D Studio <laughs> and then going and talking to these guys who who said that they would teach me how to do stuff, like you know, it's it's something about being proactive. Um, you know, I remember back in school at the academy, uh, the computer lab closed at two in the morning, and I think that. Bobby and Carlos and I were in the computer lab until two in the morning, almost every night. And we were very often, maybe not the only people in there, but almost the only people. <laughs> yeah. And everybody else, I remember people would be going to, hey, we're going to go see a movie, or hey, we're going to dinner, yeah. like, oh, we're taking off. Um, and, you know, we were, oh, we're going to work on But I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, Bobby and Carlos went to Pixar. I went to ILM. Um, there's something about like having that drive mm. and that focus, you know. And I think that getting that focus is a part of wanting to hunt that dream down, be a dream hunter, not just casually following a dream around for your whole life. Definitely. Does that answer the question? I don't know. Yeah, it does. I'm not going to put this this part that I'm about to say on the podcast. But okay. it absolutely relate to that. Since I've seen Presto, I was always a 2D animator. I never wanted to do CG animation until I saw Presto. Blew my so mind. I yeah. was like, okay, okay, I'll sign up with Animation Mentor. I will do whatever I have to do. I want to work for that guy. And I ended up, like a chain of events, I ended up at um, Ottawa Animation Festival. Wasn't supposed to be there. Had no money to be there. My boss took me. I borrowed money out my brother to pay in a hotel. He brought me to dinner with Richard Williams and Eric Goldberg. Wasn't supposed to be there either. Wow. I know. And then he says to me, do you want to come for beers afterwards? And I was like, oh, my God, I can't. I haven't made an ass of myself to this point. I don't want to push it any further. And he <laughs> says to me, Sandra, if I got an offer like this, I would say yes. Say yes. So I went along to the hotel afterwards, and the guys weren't there. They went to bed. But sitting behind us was Doug Sweetland. I didn't know who Doug Sweetland was. I didn't know he did Presto. But I was chatting to this lady and she's like, oh, there's Doug. And I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. And I was yapping away. And, and my boss is like, oh, you want to talk to him? And I was like, about what? Like, what do I say to him? And she offered to introduce me. And I asked her, I was like, well, you've got to tell me what he's did. Because I don't know who he is. And I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to talk to somebody. I don't know. And she said, well, he did Presto. You know Presto? I completely forgot Doug was there. And I started rabbiting on about how amazing it was. And she goes, well, he directed it. And he's leaving. So do you want to talk to him or not? And I ran up and I was like complimenting wow. him on all these shots that he didn't do because I didn't know but like that that's how I kept in touch with him then and I was just everything in my career everything I've done has been does this take me closer to working with Doug or further away <laughs> I mean that is exactly how I've been thinking so I went to animation mentor I was like oh Mark Oftedals <laughs> and Mark is like the sweetest person ever and now I'm at Sony and Doug's next movie is at Sony and I've been in touch with Doug and he endorsed me for the position but I don't know, because I'm, I know, I know. Oh my God, it's, awesome. it's, it's, it's been, he's been amazing. I love this story. He's been amazing. He's been so helpful with my shots and, and giving me advice on acting and oh, he's just been wonderful. But the only thing, and it's going to break my heart, is that I'm a junior and they're like, they've got the whole studio of all these DreamWorks and Disney people to choose from. And it might just break my heart that I don't, I like dangling a carrot and I might not get it. But next time, because I don't yeah. go. <laughs> next time. 
Yeah. And next time. Yeah, he'll have another movie. I'll make sure he does another movie. <laughs> I think that part of what we're talking about is like some people in that situation, if you didn't get onto that movie, mm. they would be crushed to where they they couldn't recover. Yeah. Where other people like you will totally recover, continue to excel, and we'll get there. Yeah. You know, because from that story, I mean, that you are totally dream hunter. Like, that was perfect. Yeah. And I feel like that's a kind of a common thread among animators that I meet. Yeah. So I do think that that's an important part. That story was really cool. It, it's like your story with the mouse. It's just these random things happen, yeah. and you latch onto them, and you meet amazing people like Mark and Wayne and, and all those guys, and yeah. they just help you along because they've been helped along. I mean, Doug Sweetland was helped by Pete Doctor. Pete Doctor was helped by somebody else, and we've all been helped. Right. So we all then help somebody else, and it's just like, yeah. <laughs> that's, it's true. That is this business, for sure. Yeah. We're all helped by somebody else. That's, that's so true. Yeah. But there you go. Well, a couple more questions. We'll probably okay. close it up about one just so we can actually get some sleep. <laughs> okay. Um, let me see. For new animators coming to feature level, I'm wondering what advice would you have to help them build up their speed to get up to the level of other animators on the team? Oh, yeah, that's hard. When I first started animating, I was so much slower. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not like I'm the fastest animator now. But I'm at least faster than I was. Uh, yeah, so um, time management is an art in and of itself. And everyone kind of develops their own workflow uh, over time. And when you're first starting out, you maybe you've got a workflow that works for you. And I think it's important to be open to letting that workflow evolve a yeah. little bit, especially if you go to a studio and everybody's animating twice as fast. Uh, <laughs> it's a good idea to try to figure out why above and beyond a difference of experience level. Mm. The more experience you get, the faster you can probably go. But that isn't an exponential thing that continues to make a huge difference. Mm. I think uh, being brand new versus five years of experience, mm. that'll be a pretty big difference in speed. Mm. But five years of experience versus 20 years of experience, I don't think it's going to be as big. a huge difference mm. in speed. So you kind of ramp up, and then you've ramped up. And then, then it's like, okay, well, how do I speed up now? Um, some of it is, is being sure to learn the tools of that studio. Uh, some of it is being humble and willing to ask other animators around you, like, hey, can, do you have any tips about like workflow ideas that have sped up your workflow? Mm. You could probably get tons of great advice that way. Yeah. Of people saying, oh, I've got this great hotkey, I'll send it to you. Or, I use this tool a lot, and it skips like 10 steps I used to do. <laughs> yeah. um, one thing is not, not, like, it's tempting. Okay, so let's say you go to Animation Mentor, and we're like planning, 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 planning. It's really important you got to plan your work. <laughs> and then you go to a studio, and you have this deadline, and oh my god, there's this crazy deadline. I don't have time to plan. <laughs> yeah. Huge mistake. Yeah. Uh, if you like giving up on the the planning stuff that you've learned is is a big and common mistake, mm. especially uh, in like TV animation where your quota is yeah. bonkers. <laughs> Realistically, there's no way that you're gonna do yeah. actual like polished finished animation. Yeah. Like, you're just gonna get it as far as you can, try to make it appealing, and find and sell the idea. Yeah. Um, 
So it's te even more tempting in those situations to bail on planning because you don't want to lose your job. You got to get it done really fast. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's important to, to really plan. And, you know, sometimes that, that, sometimes that means like in TV animation, you can't take a whole day to plan your shot or two days to plan your shot. You gotta you know? do two shots in two days. <laughs> yeah, right. but you know what you can do is you can take. I mean, maybe you can't even take an hour, but I bet you can take like twenty minutes mm. to do a little bit of research and a few drawings and film yourself real quick, and that might make a gigantic difference in your output. Yeah. For me, the shots where I felt like, oh, you know, I I got cocky a couple times. I know what I'm. I've done this before. I kind of know <laughs> how to do this, and I try to animate it. Those shots ended up getting done. And they were like good enough to go into the movie eventually, but good enough shouldn't be my goal, yeah. right? I shouldn't be striving for good enough. And they would have been done way faster and looked way better if I had just done my planning. Yeah. So that's one thing is don't forget about your planning because the shots going to get done a lot quicker. Um, embracing hotkeys can really speed up your workflow. Uh, maybe try to find new hotkeys from other people around you. That's not a bad idea. Um, there's something to be said about having a little bit of a conscious effort to speed up or maybe a little reminder yes. on your monitor that says, like, animate faster, which is, like, <laughs> a super scary... You know, a point, like, when I was in games... Uh, I was doing designs for like a, a sim game of like you build like a sim city type of game. Yeah. So I had to draw these kind of like cities on Mars. So I was like doing these drawings and I guess the art director was frustrated with my speed of drawing or something. And he was standing behind me with his hand on my shoulder saying, draw faster. Oh my God. Draw faster. Draw faster. <laughs> I almost had a panic attack. It, yeah. it was... That was not good at all no. for my output. It was the opposite of the intended effect. And it, I think I slowed down and it freaked me out. Uh, so you don't want to be like that. But the other thing that happened to me was when I worked in a coffee shop, uh, I was washing dishes and and the manager was like, you got to wash those dishes faster, man. And I'm like, okay, I will. And, and then he'd come by later and be like, you still got to go faster. I'm like, okay, I will. And he was, and he was like, listen to me. Actually, this is an Irish guy. Oh, really? Declan. He says, he says, listen to me, you're not going to magically speed up yeah. just because you've done a lot of dishes. You won't just magically start doing them faster. You need to think in your mind, I need to go faster, go faster, go faster, go faster. And so there's some kind of a balance between those two things yeah. that is good. Yeah. You don't want to be freaking yourself out to the point where you're no longer inspired and you're just scared. Yeah. But you do need to have a little bit of a conscious thread of... I need to go faster. And maybe all that means is you don't check your Marvel Puzzle Quest. <laughs> like, don't look at Facebook. And it's just a reminder of like, no, 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 don't look at the internet right now. I need to get this done. Mm. Um, but it can be really tempting to like, I'm going to check my email. No. <laughs> don't check your email. They can wait a little bit. If it's super important, they're going to call your desk. Yeah. Just, just don't check right away. Or at least limit the number of checks. Yeah. Another thing that speeds up my workflow, uh, somebody gave me this advice once and it was great advice was look at your animation, like look at a render of it, You say you're Play Blast or whatever, your test render, and write down all the things that you see, like do a little e-critique for yourself, mm -hmm. like, oh, I need to fix this, and fix that, and fix this. Uh, the tip that I got was 
don't re-render it again until you've done all of those things on the list. Mm. Then re-render it and look at it again. Because you lose time when you like you fix one thing and then you render it and you look at that one thing and then you fix that thing again and you render it. Yeah. You're losing a lot of time every time you like wait for the play blast and then review the play blast and think about the play blast. <laughs> Instead, fix all five things, play blast at once, and look at all five things. And you can save some time that way too. That's true, because sometimes the play blast can take five, ten minutes in yeah, my exactly. current case. Oh, here's another one. Um, don't be precious with your work and like hide it until you reveal the beautiful <laughs> shot. Right? Like instead save time by pitching ideas with either thumbnails or video of yourself mm. or in person jumping around on a couch. Yeah. Pitch the ideas before you animate them. That can save days and days and days of time. Yeah. That's fun. Uh, another thing is once you are blocking it in, if you've made significant changes or are at a moment where you think an idea might be working but you're not quite sure, go show it in its rough form. Because yeah. probably your supervisor or lead can envision where it's going to go, be. where it can go. Oh. And that can also save you a lot of time. Not like getting everything like 80% done before you show it for feedback. Yeah, that's really tough. That's what I was trying to do when I first started here at Sony. And the fact that nobody knows who you are and you're going to about to show them crap, really, <laughs> you know, just yeah. like as a first pass, it's nerve-wracking. And you don't, you don't want to do that, but I also know you have to show early. Don't, don't hold on to it. Don't hold on to it. So it's, yeah. it's a good I mean, one. They know, even if they never saw your demo reel, they know that because you work there, you must have had a pretty good reel. Yeah. So they're going to give you some credit right off the bat. Yeah. yeah Even if they true. don't know your work and you're showing them really crappy, super rough ideas. <laughs> you know, it's good to say, like, this is really rough. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, here's some ideas. Like, what do you think? I think that they'll give you some leeway. I would assume, like, when we have new guys at ILM, even if I don't, I'm not familiar with their work and they show me something super rough, I just assume that... It's going to be awesome in the end. That it's going to be awesome later, and yeah. that's why they're at ILM. Yeah, um, absolutely. They, were, they must have shown something pretty good to get in. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just assume it. And I think that most people would just assume it. And so because of that, you don't need to be worried about showing the crap. It's okay. Show <laughs> yeah. <the> crap. <laughs> that's true. It's true. But it comes back to the terrifying that they have so much, like, I don't know, trust in that what you're going to do is awesome in the end. That also is nerve-wracking. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So. But you're not going to get away from that. That's yeah. always going to be a part of this business. You know, you're creating something for someone else. Yeah. And a big part of what we do is always going to be based on their feedback. And yeah. It's always going to be a scary moment. You pull down your pants and <laughs> hope, that, that, hope that it's okay. It doesn't get blown away. Yeah. What did you learn about animation from teaching? Um, okay, what did I learn about animation from teaching? Yeah. You know, the, the big thing that jumps out at me is when we first started Animation Mentor, um, just before that, I had been teaching at the Academy of Art uh, just for a, a couple of years. And, and through that process, I was amazed at, um, that, was the, that was like my first introduction to the concept that these animation ideas go deeper than I thought. Yeah. And in talking about them after having animated for a while, I, I found that I was thinking about them in, in a deeper way than I learned them. Yeah. Um, and so things like 
anticipation, you know, like anticipation has, like, it's a very clear kind of body mechanics type of a thing, um, or it's like anticipating an idea, right? But the more that I animated, or the more that I talked about it, the more I started to think about it in terms of, like, there's body mechanics, but then there's also, um, it's like your your way of whispering to the audience, you know, which, I mean, it basically says that in The Illusion of Life. Mm-hmm. But when I first learned anticipation, there's you're inundated with a gajillion different concepts, and the most my brain can handle is the body mechanics part of it. But then later, going back to it, because I was teaching it, yeah. made me think about it more in terms of whispering to the audience and anticipating an action and, and doing a little something with, you know, like doing a little secondary action with a watch so that the audience sees the watch because that's an important story point later that they need to know that you put the watch down on the desk <laughs> and you look at the watch before you put it down on the desk. Yeah. Like thinking about it in those terms, even though it does say that right there in The Illusion of Life, um, like my brain couldn't handle these deeper versions of those ideas yet. Um, and in teaching it, it made me rethink about those ideas mm. where I had been at work for a while, not, not a ton of time. I think I'd been there for like five years or so before I taught at the academy, something like that. Um, and in that, in those five years, I'm trying to be a student of animation. I'm trying to learn animation. Um, but I'm mostly learning from the guys around me and learning more about posing or like the things that are being put right in front of me. Like I need to animate this. How do I animate this? I need to learn about how to animate this. And I wasn't like, tonight I'm going to study anticipation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but then when you have to teach it, you need to like, I needed to write like an hour long lecture about anticipation. So I go, okay, I need to like think about anticipation. And, <laughs> and so it makes you revisit ideas that you thought that you already knew. Yeah. And then when you revisit them with this new experience, you bring something new to it and you're able to absorb more of it. So you basically learn about a lot of those ideas in a deeper way. Yeah. So that's something I always appreciated about teaching, is it, it did make me a better animator. Um, and so it's purely selfish. I don't teach you. <laughs> I don't care about anybody. I'm just caring about myself. <laughs> okay, that's I, not true. I know that's not true. That's selfish benefit. Yeah, and it helps me become a better animator myself. Well, that's right. That's cool. not my primary motivation. <laughs> I think everybody nice knows bonus. that. That's good. That's a nice bonus. <laughs> so one last question. And then what is the greatest piece of advice anybody ever gave you and who is it from? Uh, Steve Williams was an animator at ILM back in the day. He animated the, a lot of the original Jurassic Park mm. scenes. Um, pioneering computer animator. Um... And he came to speak to us when I was a student at the Academy of Art. And like I said, our program back then was largely, it was all about learning software and not about learning the art of animation. Um, Like I said, the program is a lot better now. But at the time, (laughs) it was all about learning software. So this comment, like, totally rocked my world. Was He came in, he gave a talk about Jurassic Park, and we were like, wow, this guy, oh my gosh. And he said, um, you know, if you want to be a good computer animator get like a good computer and then take it in your backyard and dig a hole and bury the computer <laughs> in the backyard and then go learn how to animate and then go dig up your computer <laughs> and animate on it yeah. and that was like life changing for me to hear because 
animation suddenly wasn't about what version of soft homage I have yeah. or how, how much RAM I have. Animation is about the art of imbuing a character with life. Mm. And it's about art. And it doesn't matter what the medium is or the tool is. And, and that, really, that really affected me in a big way. And that's um, one of the driving principles of Animation Mentor is mm. that we wanted to make a school that was about teaching the art. And yeah, we had to kind of pick a software to support one, so we support Maya. But it, you know, animation is not Maya, mm-hmm. and animation is not a pencil, animation is not a stop motion puppet. Animation is an art, mm-hmm. and those are all just tools that you can use to create your art. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was really um, impactful advice for me, mm-hmm. and that's probably that was kind of the final. Um, blow to my school career <laughs> is when I heard that combined with what I'd been hearing from animators at ILM yeah. the internship I was like okay what am I doing here I need to find a different way to learn mm-hmm. and that's when I went and found Wayne Gilbert and, oh, and he taught me cool. that's very cool okay well if we keep going I'm just going to get more and more silly <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And this was really, really fun. I had a great time. I had a wonderful time. And I really thank you so much for meeting up with me because I know you're really busy and the baby and everything and this late at night and it's great. It's so great. So thank you uh, so th- much. Thanks for making it work with the schedule. I know 1 a.m. Uh, <laughs> is ideal for you. Um, it, but I appreciate you uh, having Wilgur room all the time. Yeah, they don't mind if we go in a little late on Saturdays. It's okay because it's Saturday. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for Animation Mentor because I think you know that it changed my life. You've seen the evidence of it and it really was amazing. It brought so many incredible people and experiences into my life. And I mean, I see from so many Animation Mentor students tell me the same thing that the crazy stories that like started from Animation Mentor and the community, the friends, the mentors that I now call friends. It's just insane. It's insane. <laughs> I can't tell you how surreal and beautiful it is to hear people say stuff like that and I'm so proud of you for I mean you're doing amazing I'm proud that you went to our school and you're doing all of this and kicking so much butt and being such a proactive you know like dream hunter like you talk (laughs) Uh, but at the same time it's it's really weird to hear you know something that I was involved in trying to help bring to life maybe affected other yeah. people's lives and so many John so many people it's 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 surreal and I mean I don't know what to I really don't know how to react to that yeah <laughs> really um, grateful yeah. to hear you or anyone say something like that yeah. it means the world to me and you know that something that's really true is that for all of our students you included you know, building Animation Mentor was hard. Mm-hmm. It was really hard and a lot of work. And you know, for six months, I kept track just out of curiosity. I was averaging 123 hours a week oh my God. between ILM and AM. And that was like six for, just for six months of it. Oh um, and it was a ton of work to try mm-hmm. to make the school. And all along the way, it's like, is anybody going to even sign up for this? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we doing? Um, but we had this dream of it. And then meeting someone like you and seeing the success that you have and, and getting to enjoy your dream coming true yeah. like that, the, the truth really is is that your dream coming true is my dream coming true. 
You know, like yeah. my dream is your dream coming true. Like that's, I don't know how to say that properly, but that was my dream. Yeah. And, and so hearing something like that is, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it makes me feel emotional. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's one of the coolest things that'll ever happen to me. You know? But I really believe that you feel that way. You made my brother cry. My brother's a big bodybuilder. He's a fireman. He's a big, he's a real manly man. But for my graduation, um, he wanted to see it. He couldn't make it to San Francisco, but we were watching it on the website. And um, you made him cry <laughs> with your speech. He's like, that's so beautiful. I can't remember what you're saying. Yeah. He was all like emotionally. He goes, you guys are so awesome. Whereas before he was like, he used to tell me, Sandra, you can say three sentences about animation and that's it. Because that was just my life. I did nothing else. Which was good advice too, I suppose. <laughs> well, I really meant what I said. And in yeah. fact, I know that I said that at the graduation. Yeah. That your dream coming true is our dream coming true. And that's, it's totally sincere and yeah, true. I believe it. I believe and, it. And it's crazy, like, the things that are the craziest for me is someone like you who is, in, is like, you're living your dream right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like couples that have come together through the yeah. school. Yeah. Like I went to a wedding. Of, yeah. Like that's crazy. And then, so I went to that wedding and then it's like, someday they might have kids. Yeah. And then, like would that human have existed? I know. Because you know I was a mentor. And then, like I met my wife through mm. the school and we have two daughters. Yeah. And that's two Two people that would never have existed. And it's weird to think about, like, if if I didn't buy that mouse, yeah. then these people wouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I know. You it's know crazy. I mean? It's totally crazy. Like, how weird is that? Yeah. And I think, I sincerely believe that you would be there anyway. And maybe it would have taken a little longer to get there or something. But someone like you that has that drive and, that, and you're like that dream hunter type of person, you would have gotten to Sony anyway. Maybe it wouldn't have been in time for Hotel Take Two. <laughs> I don't know. I did it very um, much. Maybe another 60 years. I was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're there because of your talent and your hard work, not because of the school. But I still feel incredibly grateful to hear that you had a good experience. And if you think that it had some kind of positive impact on your life, that's... That's like, uh, it gives me a reason for all those late nights and, mm. a, and a reason to exist. <laughs> so, I, I well, don't know. It's, thank you so much. But really, I think it's the thing you were talking about being luck. It is hard work. And I think hard work creates those opportunities that people relate to and then help you along. I don't think you just sit down and, and it all happens. So Yeah, I, mean, I think that's totally true. And it was amazing to me that you guys were so young when you created that school. It's kind of depressing in a way. You were like, what, in your early 20s? Maybe 19 or something? Yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's see. I was, when we first started working on it, I was like 26 or 27 or something. 26. Oh, that don't feel so bad. But still in all, the whole school when you're 27, I think I had my first <laughs> job in animation. <clears throat> we didn't open the school until I was 29. Does that help? I don't know. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. But there you go. Okay. Well, Sean, I hope I, I will see it again, I'm sure, at some point. Yeah, of course. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe at CTN, yeah, you guys doing the graduation thing. I might make it down. I hope so. Yeah. But thank you so much again for tonight. And cool. right, cool. Thanks Sorry. very much, Sean. Take Thanks care. for thinking of me. It's, I'm, I'm really uh, humbled that you would have me on the show. So oh, thank you so much. Oh, not at all. You're a lead animator at ILM. It's awesome. And oh. you're so cool. You've had the... 
greatest school and my god what a career behind you so yeah absolutely and everybody thinks the world of you everybody okay. everybody's so excited about this podcast <laughs> <laughs> there was some pressure on me in work and from the animation mentor students they're like this is gonna be awesome and I'm like oh, no. it's all down Sean because evidently you're way better at this than I am <laughs> uh no that's, yes. that's really nice of you to say, but that's a bunch of nonsense, but it's nice, nice of you to say. <laughs> that's I'm feeling like bad about myself, I'm going to call you. <laughs> Tell me all that stuff again. Alright, thanks, well, Sandra. Have a good night, Sean. Okay, good luck tomorrow. Take care. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Yeah.